Chapter 10 of Recruit for Andromeda by Stephen Marlowe. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Chapter 10. It's all so big, so incredible. We'll never understand it. Never. Relax, Sophia. Arcalian said, I know what Arcalian said, but we haven't learned anything yet. Hours before, Arcalion had landed them on the space station, a gleaming five-mile-in-diameter globe, and had quickly departed. Soon after that, they had found themselves in a veritable labyrinth of tunnels, passageways, vaults. Occasionally, they passed a great glowing screen, and always the view of space was the same, like a magnificent, elongated shield sparkling with a million, million points of light, pale gold, burnished copper, blue of glacial ice and silver white, the Andromeda galaxy spanned space from upper right to lower left. Off at the lower right-hand corner, they could see their space station. Apparently, the viewer itself stood far removed in space, projecting its images here at the globe. Awed the first time they had seen one of the screens, Temple said, All the poets who ever wrote a line would have given half their lives to see this as we see it now. And all the writers, musicians, artists? Anyone who ever thought creatively, Sophia. How can you say it's breathtaking or anything like that when words weren't ever spoken, which can... Let's not go poetic just yet, Sophia admonished him with a smile. We'd better get squared away here, as the expression goes, before it's too late. Yes. Hello, what's this? A door irised opened for them in a solid wall of metal. Irised was the only word Temple could think of, for a tiny round hole appeared in the wall spreading evenly in all directions with a slow, uniform, almost liquid motion. When it was large enough to walk through, they entered a completely bare room, and Temple whirled in time to see the entrance irising shut. Something smells, said Sophia, sniffing at the air. Sweet and cloying, the odor grew stronger. Temple may have heard a faint hissing sound. I'm getting sleepy, he said. Nodding, Sophia ran, banged on the wall where the door had opened so suddenly then closed. No response. Is it a trap? By whom? For what? Temple found it difficult to keep his eyes from closing. Fight it if you want, Sophia. I'm going to sleep. And he squatted in the center of the floor, staring vacantly at the bare wall. Just as Temple was drifting off into a dream about complex machinery he did not yet understand but realized he soon would, Sophia joined him the hard way, collapsing alongside of him, unconscious and sprawling gracelessly on the floor. Temple slept. Sleepyhead, get up. Sophia stirred as he spoke and shook her. She yawned, stretched, smiled up at him lazily. How do you feel now? Hungry, kid. That's a point. It's all right now, though. I know exactly where the food concentrates are kept. Three levels below us, second segment of the wall. You can make those queer doors iris by pressing the wall twice, with about a one-second interval. They found the food compartment, discovered row on row of cans, boxes, jars. Temple opened one of the cans, gazed in disappointment on a sorry-looking thing the size of his thumb. Brown, shriveled, dry, and almost flaky, it might have been a bird. Sophia turned up her nose. If that's the best this place has to offer, I'm not so hungry anymore. Suddenly, she gaped. So did Temple. A savory odor attracted their attention. Steam rising from the small can added to their interest. 
Amazing things happened to the withered scrap of food on exposure to the air. Temple barely had time to extract it from the can, burning his fingers in the process, when it became twice the can's size. It grew, and by the time it finished, it was as savory-looking a five-pound fowl as Temple had ever seen, roasted, steaming hot, ready to eat. They tore into it with savage gusto. Stephanie should see me now, Temple found himself saying, and regretted it. Stephanie? Who's that? A girl. Your girl? What's the difference? She's a million light years and fifty centuries away. Answer me. Yes, said Temple, wishing he could change the subject. My girl. He hadn't thought of Stephanie in a long time, perhaps because it was meaningless to think of someone dead fifty centuries. Now that the thoughts had been stirred within him, though, he found them poignantly pleasant. Your girl. And you would marry her if you could? He had grown attached to Sophia, not in reality, but in the second of their dream worlds. He wished the memory of the dream had not lingered, for it disturbed him. In it, he had loved Sophia as much as he now loved Stephanie, although the one was attainable and the other was a five-thousand-year pinch of dust. And how much of the dream lingered with him, in his head and his heart? Let's forget about it, Temple suggested. No. If she were here today, and if everything were normal, would you marry her? Why talk about what can't be? I want to know. That's why. All right, yes, I would. I would marry Stephanie. Oh, said Sophia. Then what happened in the dream meant nothing. We were two different people, Temple said coolly, then wished he hadn't, for it was only half true. He remembered everything about the dream, which was more than a dream, vividly. He had been far more intimate with Sophia, and over a longer period of time, than he had ever been with Stephanie. And even if Stephanie appeared impossibly on the spot, and he spent the rest of his life as her husband, still he would never forget his dream life with Sophia. In time, he could let himself tell her that. But not now. Now the best thing he could do would be to change the subject. I see. Sophia answered him coldly. No, you don't. Maybe someday you will. There's nothing but what you told me. I see. No, forget it, he told her wearily. Of course. It was only a dream anyway. The dream before that, I almost killed you out of hatred anyway. Love and hate, I guess they neutralize. We're just a couple of people who have to do a job together, that's all. For gosh sake, Sophia, that isn't true. I love Stephanie. I still would were Stephanie alive. But she's... She's about as accessible as the Queen of Sheba. So? There's an American expression. You're carrying a torch. Probably, Temple realized it was true. But what did all that have to do with Sophia? If he and Sophia... If they... Would it be fair to Sophia? It would be exactly as if a widower remarried with the memory of his first wife set aside in his heart. No, different, for he had never wed Stephanie, and always in him would be the desire for what had never been. Let's talk about it some other time, Temple almost pleaded, wanting the respite for himself as much as for Sophia. No, we don't have to talk about it ever. I won't be second best, Kit. Let's forget all about it and do our job. I... I'm sorry I brought the whole thing up. Temple felt like an unspeakable heel.
And, anyway, the whole thing wasn't resolved in his mind. But they couldn't just let it go at that. Not in case something happened when the ships came and one or both of them perished. Awkwardly, for now he felt self-conscious about everything. He got his arms about Sophia, drew her to him, placed his lips on hers. That was as far as he got. She wrenched free, shoved clear of him. If you try that again, you will have another dislocated jaw. Temple shrugged wearily. If anything were to be resolved between them, it would be later. When the ships came moments afterwards, seven, not the five Arcalion predicted, they were completely unprepared. Temple spotted them first on one of the viewing screens, halfway between the receiver and the space station itself, silhouetted against the elongated shield of Andromeda. They soared out of the picture, appeared again minutes later, zooming in from the other direction in two flights of four ships and three. Come on! Sophia cried over her shoulder, irising the door and plunging from the room. Temple followed at her heels, but her Jupiter-trained muscles pushed her lithe legs in long, powerful strides, and soon she outdistanced him. By the time he reached the armaments vault, breathless, she was seated at the single gun emplacement, her fingers on the controls. Watch the viewing screen and tell me how we're doing, Sophia told him, not taking her eyes from the dials and levers. Temple watched, fascinated, saw a thin pencil of radiant energy leap out into space, missing one of the ships by what looked like a scant few miles. He called the corrective azimuth to her, hardly surprised by the way his mind had absorbed and could now use its newfound knowledge. Temple understood, and yet did not understand. For example, he knew the station had but one gun, and Sophia sat at it now. Yet in certain ways, it didn't make sense. Could it cover all sectors of space? His mind supplied the answer, although he had not been aware of the knowledge an instant before. Yes. The space station did not merely rotate. Its surface was a spherical projection of a moving Mobius strip, and although he tried to envision the concept, he failed. The weapon could be fired at any given point in space at 20-second intervals, covering every other conceivable point in the ensuing time. Sophia was firing again, and Temple watched the thin beam leap across space. Hit! He roared, hit! Something flashed at the front end of the lead ship. The light blinded him, but when he could see again, only six ships remained in space, casting perfect shadows on the Andromeda galaxy. The source of light, Temple realized triumphantly, was out of range, but he could picture it, a glowing derelict of a ship spewing heat, light, and radioactivity into the void. One down, Sophia called. Six to go. I like your American expressions. Like sitting ducks. She did not finish. Abruptly, light flared all around them. Something shrieked in Temple's ears. The vault shuddered, shook. Girders clattered to the floor, stove it in, revealing black rock. Sophia was thrown back from the single gun, crashing against the wall, flipping an air and landing on her stomach. Temple ran to her, turned her over. Blood smeared her face, trickled from her lips. Although she did not move, she wasn't dead. Temple half-dragged, half-carried her from the vault into an adjoining room. He stretched her out comfortably as he could on the floor, ran back into the vault. Molten metal had collected in one corner of the room, crept sluggishly toward him across the floor, heating it white-hot. He skirted it, climbed over a twisted girder, pushed his way past other debris, found himself with a gun emplacement. How dumb can I get? Temple said aloud. Sophia ran to the gun, must have assumed I set up the shields. Again, it was an item of information stored in his mind by the wisdom of the space station. 
Protective shields made it impossible for anything but a direct hit on the emplacement to do them any harm. Only, Temple had never set the shields in place. He did so now, merely by tripping a series of levers. But glancing at a dial to his left, he realized with alarm that the damage, possibly, had already been done. The needle, which measured lethal radiation, hovered halfway between negative and the critical area marked in red and, even as Temple watched it, crept closer to the red. How much time did he have? Temple could not be sure, bent grimly over the weapon. It was completely unfamiliar to his mind, completely unfamiliar to his fingers. He toyed with it, released a blast of radiant energy, whirled to face the viewing screen. The beam streaked out into the void, clearly hundreds of miles from its objective. Cursing, Temple tried again, scoring a near miss. The ships were trading a steady stream of fire with him now, but with the shielding up it was harmless, striking and then bouncing back into space. Temple scored his first hit five minutes after sitting down at the gun, whooped triumphantly, and fired again. Five ships left. But the dial indicated an increase in radioactivity as newly created neutrons spread their poison like a cancer. Behind Temple, the vault was a shambles. The pool of molten metal had increased in size, almost cutting off any possibility of escape. He could jump it now, Temple realized, but it might grow larger. Consolidating its gains now, it had sheared a pit in the floor, had commenced vaporizing the rock below it, hissing and lapping with white-hot insistence. Something boomed, grated, boomed again, and Temple watched another girder bounce off the floor, dip one end into the molten pool, and clatter out a stub. Apparently the damage was extensive, a structural weakness threatened to make the entire ceiling go. Temple fired again, got another ship. He could almost feel death breathing on his shoulder. In no great hurry, but sure of its prize, he fired the weapon. If one ship remained when they could no longer use the gun, they would have failed. One ship might make the difference for Earth. One. Three left. Two. They raked the space station with blast after blast, futilely. They spun and twisted and streaked by, offering poor targets. Temple waited his chance and glanced at the dial which measured radioactivity. He yelped, stood up. The needle had encroached upon the red area. Death to remain where he was more than a moment or two. Not quick death, but rather slow and lingering. He could do what he had to, then perish hours later. His life, for Earth? If Arcalion had known all the answers, and if he could get both ships, and if there weren't another alternative for the aliens, the parasites. Temple stabbed out with his pencil beam caught the sixth ship, then saw the needle dip completely into the red. He got up, trembling, stepped back, half-tripped on the stump of a girder as his eyes strayed in fascination to the viewing screen. The seventh ship was out of range, hovering off in the void somewhere, awaiting its chance. If Temple left the gun, the ship would come in close enough to hit the emplacement despite its protective shielding. Well, it was suicide to remain there, especially when the ship wasn't even in view. Temple leaped over the molten pool and left the vault. He found Sophia stirring, sitting up. What hit me? She said and laughed. Something seems to have gone wrong, Kit. What? It's all right now, he told her, lying. You look pale. You got one, I got five. One ship to go. What are you waiting for? and Sophia sprang to her feet, heading for the vault. 
Hold it! Temple snapped. Don't go in there. Why not? I'll get the last ship and- Don't go in there! Temple tugged at her arm, pulled her away from the vault and its broken door which would not Iris closed anymore. What's the matter, Kit? I- I want to finish the last one myself. That's all. Sophia got herself loose, reached the circular doorway, peered inside. Like Dante's Inferno, she said. You told me nothing was the matter. Well, we can get through to the emplacement, Kit. No. And again, he stopped her. At least he had lived in freedom all his life, and although he was still young and did not want to die, Sophia had never known freedom until now, and it wouldn't be right if she perished without savoring its fruits. He had a love, dust fifty centuries. He had his past and his memories. Sophia had only the future. Clearly, if someone had to yield life, Temple would do it. It's worse than it looks, he told her quietly, drawing her back from the door again. He explained what had happened, told her the radioactivity had not quite reached critical point, which was a lie. So, he concluded, we're wasting time. If I rush in there, fire, and rush right out, everything will be fine. Then let me. I'm quicker than you. No, I... I'm more familiar with the gun. Dying would not be too bad if he went with reasonable certainty he had saved Earth. No man ever died so importantly, Temple thought briefly, then felt cold fear when he realized it would be dying just the same. He fought it down and said, I'll be right back. Sophia looked at him, smiling vaguely. Then you insist on doing it? When he nodded, she told him, Then, kiss me, kiss me now, Kit, in case something... Fiercely, he swept her to him, bruising her lips with his. Sophia. Sophia. At last, she drew back. Kit, she said, smiling demurely. She took his right hand in her left, held it, squeezed it. Her own right hand she suddenly brought up from her waist, fist clenched, driving it against his jaw. Temple fell, half stunned by the blow at her feet. For the space of a single heartbeat, he watched her move slowly toward the round doorway. Then he had clambered to his feet, running after her. He got his arms on her shoulders, yanked at her. When she turned, he saw she was crying. I... I'm sorry, Kit. You couldn't fool me about... Stephanie, you can't fool me about this. She had more leverage this time. She stepped back, bringing her small, hard fist up from her knees. It struck Temple squarely at the point of the jaw, with the strength of a Jovian-trained muscle behind it. Temple's feet left the floor, and he landed with a thud on his back. His last thought of Sophia, or of anything for a while, made him smile faintly as he lost consciousness. For a kiss, she had promised him another dislocated jaw, and she had kept her promise. Later, how much later he did not know, something soft cushioned his head. He opened his eyes, stared through swirling, spinning murk. He focused, saw Arcalion, no, two Arcalions standing off at a distance, watching him. He squirmed, knew his head was cushioned in a woman's lap. He sighed, tried to sit up, and failed. Soft hands caressed his forehead, his cheeks. A face swam into vision, but mistily. Sophia? He murmured. His vision cleared. It was Stephanie.
It's over, said Arcalion. We're on our way back to Earth, Kit. But the ships? All destroyed. If my people want to come here in ten thousand years, let them try. I have a hunch you of Earth will be ready for them. It took us five thousand to reach nowhere, Temple mused. It will take us five thousand to return. We'll come barely in time to warn Earth. Wrong, said Arcalion. I still have my ship. We're in it now, so you'll reach Earth with almost fifty centuries to spare. Why don't you forget about it, though? If human progress for the next five thousand years matches what has been happening for the last five, the parasites won't stand a chance. Earth five thousand years in the future, Stephanie said dreamily. I wonder what it will be like. Don't be so startled, Kit. I was a pilot study on the nowhere journey. If I made it successfully, other women would have been sent. But now there won't be any need. I wouldn't be too sure of that, said the real Alaric Arcalion Third. I suspect a lot of people are going to feel just like me. Why not go out and colonize space? We can do it. Wonderful to have a frontier again. Why, a dozen billionaires will appear for every one like my father. Good for the economy. So if we don't like Earth, said Stephanie, we can always go out. I have a strong suspicion you will like it, said Arcalion's double. Alaric Three grinned. What about you, bud? I don't want a twin brother hanging around all the time. Arcalion grinned back at him. What do you want me to do, young man? I've forsaken my people. This is now my body. Tell you what, I promise to be always on a different continent. Earth isn't so small that I'll get in your hair. Temple sat up, felt the bandages on his jaw. He smiled at Stephanie, told her he loved her, and meant it. It was exactly as if she had returned from the grave, and in his first exaltation he hadn't even thought of Sophia, who had perished all alone in the depths of space, that a world might live. He turned to Arcalion. Sophia? We found her dead, Kit, but smiling, as if everything was worth it. It should have been me. Whoever Sophia was, said Stephanie, she must have been a wonderful woman, because when you got up, when you came to, her name was... Forget it, said Temple. Sophia and I have a very strange relationship, and... All right, you said forget it. Forget it. Stephanie smiled down at him. I love you so much there isn't even room for jealousy. Um, Kit, break up that clinch, ordered Arcalion. We're making one more stop at Nowhere to pick up anyone who wants to return to Earth. Some of them probably won't, but those who do are welcome. Jason will stay, Temple predicted. He'll be a leader out among the stars. Then he'll have to climb over my back, Alaric Three predicted happily, his eyes in the viewport hungrily. Temple's jaw throbbed. He was tired and sleepy, but satisfied. Sophia had died, and for that he was sad, but there would always be a place deep in his heart for the memory of her. Delicious, somehow exotic, not a love the way Stephanie was, not as tender, not as sure, but a feeling for Sophia that was completely unique. And whenever the strangeness of the far future Earth frightened Temple, whenever he felt a situation might get the better of him, whenever doubt clouded judgment, he would remember the tall, lithe girl who had walked to her death that a world might have the freedom she barely had tasted. And together, with Stephanie, he would be able to do anything. Unless, 
He thought dreamily as he drifted off to sleep, his head pillowed again on Stephanie's lap. He'd wind up with a bum jaw the rest of his life. End of Chapter 10 End of Recruit for Andromeda by Stephen Marlowe